Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everyone back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. Or I guess I should say welcome if you're new to this podcast. I appreciate you listening. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey, and today I am so excited because we have some great news about rhinos. Now, normally when we hear about rhinos in the news, it could be a little depressing because, you know, their numbers are just declining at an alarming rate. But today we are going to talk about good news. And on the show, I have on Nina Fasion. She is the executive director of the International Rhino Foundation. And you know what? Let me just tell you the news. We have a rare baby Sumatran rhino that was born in Indonesia just a month ago. I mean, I should say even less than a month ago. This is one of the rarest animals on earth. Matter of fact, they believe that there are fewer than 80 left in the wild and a birth for the Sumatran rhino. This is, I mean, this is huge. We should be setting off fireworks right now. It is such an amazing thing, especially considering that the gestation for these animals, it's really long. I mean, you think about humans, a gestation's around nine months. These animals have a 15 month gestation and they do have difficulty breeding, which Nina will get into, but I'm so excited to highlight the good news that's going on right now in Indonesia. I encourage you to sit back and relax today and enjoy learning about a really rare animal because a lot of us, when we think of rhinos, we think of Africa, but there are actually rhinos in Asia and there's some really cute hairy ones living in Indonesia. That is right. They are hairy. They are adorable. I'll make sure to put some uh, links and put some posts up on my social media channel so you guys can take a look at just how cute the Sumatran rhinos are. But I do encourage you to uh, learn about them with us today. And also, if you are enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend, a family, member, anyone who is interested in animals, or maybe even anyone who you think maybe doesn't even know about these rhinos. In the podcast, I asked Nina, how can we help spread the word because they are critically endangered with fewer than 80 left? How can we help rhinos? And by simply sharing this podcast episode to get the word out there that we actually have rhinos in Indonesia, it's a great thing. And that's something simple you can do. So we really, really do appreciate that. Before we get to the podcast interview, I encourage you to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I also encourage you to join us for the after show. The after show is a way for you to listen to the full interview, and it's a way to help support the show. For just $10 a month, you get access to exclusive interviews with every one of my guests on the Animals to the Max podcast. In this after show, I talked to Nina what it was like working with wolf restoration in Yellowstone National Park. I asked her what the the transition was like going from working with wolves to rhinos and I asked her how she landed that dream job which is pretty cool she also gives me some tips because I'm gearing up to go to Yellowstone soon so make sure to stay tuned for that with that said though let's just get to the show let's talk about rhinos let's talk about this fantastic news in the wildlife world Nina welcome to the show thank you I'm excited to be here and chat about some great news in the rhino world Oh my gosh, every time I hear about rhinos, it is so dark, it's so depressing, and when I got this press release, I was like, oh my god, I have to get someone on the show to talk about this great news. Well, thank you for that. Yes, it is uh, tough, and we'll talk about the tough stuff today, but um, it can be tough with poaching, and all five species of rhinos are imperiled, uh, and so it can be tough. So when there's news like this, 
with probably the most imperiled species, the Sumatran rhino. We, I joke that you have to even say it a certain tone of voice. We're talking about a baby rhino. Like <laughs> you have to, you have to have an excited, right? So your your listeners can't see my hand gestures, but yes, you, you have to have a very excited uh, <laughs> tone of voice about this. Yes, we have a baby Sumatran rhino, which is huge news for one of the rarest animals on Earth. I just, yeah, I mean, mind blown. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. And uh, because uh, uh, the first thing we should do is credit to the government of Indonesia, which has been working very hard. There, most people don't even know there are two species of rhinos in Indonesia, the Sumatran rhino and the Javan rhino. Uh, they are both imperiled. Um, the Sumatran rhino is truly the most imperiled of all five species. And I'll just quickly say there are two species of rhinos in Africa, the black rhino, white rhino, one in India, the greater one horned and then these two species in Indonesia. Um, and most people just don't, don't even realize that they're, uh, they're small. They're little tiny rhinos running around those jungles in Indonesia, um, very imperiled for various reasons we can talk about. Um, but that was a long-winded way of leading up to rhinos have a long gestation period, right? So this was about a 15-month gestation period. So 15. 15 months. So, yeah, so we've known for a year and a quarter um, about this birth and, you know, talk about waiting with bated breath to make sure mom was okay, baby was okay. And um, so we're delighted to um, celebrate with the government of Indonesia and our rhino conservation partners around the world in this really huge news. That is amazing. And I like what you said earlier, just to kind of go back, you said a lot of people don't realize there are rhinos even in Asia. I feel like when you say rhinos, people think of Africa. Right, right. And we have more in Asia than in Africa. I, I guess more, more, more species. I should say, not more numbers, but we have more species in Asia. Correct? That is correct. Whether three Asian and two African, right? So, um, and also, people are surprised when they ask us, people who love rhinos, and they, they'll ask us where, where to go to see rhinos, and they expect us to say Kruger National Park in Africa or some. Somewhere, and we go, oh, go to Kazaranga in India, like where you practically trip over the rhinos because they're doing quite well in Kazaranga in India. Um, so anyway, note for folks who want to go see a rhino in the wild, head to India. Um, you can see that. You can see them in Africa as well. But um, That is yeah. amazing. What was that national park? Kazahua? What was that? Yeah, a Kazaranga National Park. Uh, so IR, International Rhino Foundation works, which I will refer to as IRF periodically, um, we we work with all five species and we have teams on the ground in in the various range countries where we work including in india and in northeastern india in the state of assam we've been working for years on a great restoration program uh, for rhinos frankly this is the other bit of good rhino news with greater one horn rhinos the indian rhino um they were there were, there were fewer than a hundred of them um, at the kind of turn of the last century, but the government of India's, uh, the governments of India and Nepal have done such a great job protecting them, and then just huge coalition of government and nonprofits and, and scientists and whatever working to save them. That their numbers are 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 they've been rebounding and um, they're doing well. So. Yes, we have, there are several national parks, including Kazaranga, in, in the state of Assam, where, where rhinos are doing pretty darn well. That's amazing. Now, back onto the Sumatran rhino. You said this is the rarest of the rhino of the five rhino species? So the official number is less, fewer than 80. Oh, my God. I think it could be 
significantly fewer than 80. No, no one knows. The government and partners are working to do accounts. Uh, there are trajectory surveys going on in various areas for trying to figure out how many rhinos are left. And with this rhino, it's really an all hands, uh, I can use a whole bunch of expressions, but all hands on deck or, you know, we need a, a Hail Mary pass to protect these things. So currently the goal of, from the Indonesian government and everyone working to protect this species is to capture rhinos and breed, breed them in captivity, which is where this uh, rhino Rosa, we didn't even say her name yet, Rosa, who by the way is on the wall behind me. I have a picture of Rosa on the wall. She's beautiful. <laughs> And that wasn't fair to my listeners, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, that was Rosa. That's Rosa. Um, but she is in um, the Sumatran Rhino Sanctuary, so mm. this captive propagation area that's fabulous. I mean, they have huge, huge natural-like enclosures, and they are very well taken care of. But there were seven rhinos there, and with this baby now, there are eight. Wow. I just, my mind is blown in a really sad way. I just, really quick, listeners only 80, like less than 80 in, in, in the world, not just in like in the world left of the species. That is correct. And it's not even an animal. Well, I heard you talking on one of your prior podcasts about coyotes and how they reproduce and, and when the pressure on them, they often have their litter sizes. That's not the case with a very slowly reproducing animal like a rhino that would, we said gestation periods, you know, 15, 16 months with the different species, and they have one offspring. And um, and with the Sumatran rhinos, they frankly have all sorts of reproductive problems. That currently is the biggest threat to Sumatran rhinos, uh, that they, A, can't find each other to reproduce because there's so few left, and okay. they're solitary, and they, can't, they just literally, um, you know, there aren't enough of them for population. And then because of this lack of reproduction, that creates reproductive challenges. It's this kind of snowball effect heading downhill for them. So Rosa had had, I'm forgetting if it was eight or nine prior pregnancies that she lost. Um, And so that's why we really were, we the world uh, who knew knew about this were waiting with bated breath to, to make sure that this and she was, she's getting really the best veterinary care in the world and uh, the best resources. And so this was a very joyous occasion. That's amazing. So how old is her calf now? Golly, time flies. Just a couple of weeks. What was it? Two, just over two weeks ago, almost three weeks. So it's only three weeks old? Yes. But you know what? We heard we have a, a fabulous um, Indonesian rhino manager, uh, you know, in over there. And the other day he called and he said, oh, he's hearing reports that the calf is acting naughty. And we're like, <laughs> naughty? Like, what's she doing? And apparently, rhinos love mud. They like love mud. So she's apparently getting in Rosa, her mom's wallow, you know, her mud pit. Um, but it's a very deep mud pit. And so she struggles to get out. And, oh, goodness. So anyway, so but that's good because she... Um, it was not the world's easiest birth. The veterinarians probably saved her life by some assist, um, assisting. Um, and, but now she's gaining weight at a proper rate. And, and we're like, oh, being naughty is good. When you hear that a baby rhino is being naughty, that's a good thing. Yeah. So what happened with with Rosa's birth complications? Can we kind of go into that? Like how the vets had to step in and, and save this little baby calf? Yeah, it was a breech birth, which I think in itself is not terribly 
you, you know, that unusual, but because it was uh, a delicate pregnancy anyway, uh, there were veterinarians on hand and um, the government of Indonesia's vets, there's a, just some an amazing vet team over there. Um, yeah, helped helped mom pulled pulled the baby and mm-hmm. and gave the baby some assistance and um, then spent a couple of days with some kind of intensive care and getting the baby going and now and Rosa's apparently quite a good mom, mm-hmm. uh, so that's important and that's good and they're fun. I don't know if you've seen it. The government of Indonesia has released some fun videos of of Rosa nudging you know. Kind of shoving, shoving. Looks like she's shoving the baby around, but <laughs> giving rhino love to her baby. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And and regarding parental care, the males have nothing to do with care. It's just the female. Yeah. Yep. Just the mom, and they'll stay with their mom for a couple of years. Um, this is the third calf that was born at the Sumatran Rhino Sanctuary, and Delilah was the last calf born there and stayed with mom about four years, which is longer than she may be quite needed to, um, but because it was in the captive situation. And um, and frankly, I think it's hard for the keepers to pull mom and baby apart, but in the wild, they might not stick with mom quite that long. So, so what happened, did you say Delilah, her other calf? It was not Rose's calf. It was a, it was, um, a, um, a rhino named Ratu had, had Delilah. Okay. Um, yeah. So. And where where is so where is Delilah now? Did did you guys re-release her, or she's still in this captive breeding program? She Delilah's still there. She's one of the seven, well now eight rhinos. And you know the new the new baby doesn't have a name yet. The government will name her. The president named the last one Delilah. So we're waiting and and we'll be excited to share to, to celebrate a name. So I feel bad. I just keep saying the baby, the baby. <laughs> She'll have a name eventually. Oh, um, you should do a naming contest. We have thousands of people that would love to name a baby rhino. <laughs> not the first person to recommend that. So yes, I. Um, I think we should pass that suggestion along to the government. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, they're gonna like Corbin. Who? No, I'm serious. Uh, no, but uh, if 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 you could pick a name, what do you think would be a good name for this baby? Uh, well, the funny thing is Delilah, which is a very lovely name, is not particularly Indonesian, so I don't. No, <laughs> not at all. It sounds like a rocker band groupie chick. You know what I mean? I, I'm just <laughs> I keep on like anyway. No offense, to anyone named Delilah. It's a beautiful name, but yeah, I was kind of shocked to hear the name too. Um, but that's that's a great name. Um, and whereas other other rhinos there do have more Indonesian names, and then some. So. Again, this baby's the third one born in the sanctuary. Delilah is another one, and then from a different mom, Ratu. And then there was the first one born there is um, Andatu. His father was Andalus, and is who's still there, and the mother Ratu. And so they combine the names for the baby to make it Andatu. Um, so anyway, so those are um, more interesting names, and we'll see what this new one has. Yeah. So, that so I so is the goal of the International Rhino Foundation for this program to capture all of the remaining eighty and and put them in the sanctuary so they can breed. Is that currently what's going on? Yes, thank you, and good job circling back to where we we're going with that. Oh uh, yes, yeah, so the the goal is the government had developed um, an emergency action plan for rhinos, mm. and there are many entities working on that, including. Mm. Uh, nonprofits, you know, in working in support of the government and uh, and a coalition called the Sumatran 
Rhino Survival Alliance. And the goal is absolutely to capture rhinos and really pretty much any rhinos that we can get. They're very hard to find. The pandemic got in the way of that. There's, there's a whole process and things that need to be done for capturing rhinos. So there were more, the rhinos aren't all in one location. The Javan rhinos are over, over in Java. They're all in one location, which by the way, brings its own set of challenges to that population. Like a single population of a species remaining is susceptible to disease and such. So that's not the case with Sumatran rhinos that are in a couple of different areas. So the current Sumatran rhino sanctuary, where the baby was just born, is in Waikambas National Park, up north in Indonesia, in um, a different park. They are building a new Sumatran rhino sanctuary for capturing rhinos up there. Rhinos aren't super easy to transport, um, although, uh, see, I keep distracting myself with stories, but this is a good story. Rosa, the way she was captured, she literally followed the keepers through the jungle back to the Sumatran rhino sanctuary. Not, not on a big leash, nothing. She literally just walked with the rangers and through the forest. And there's a hilarious old grainy video of it um, that shows her even at night, because it took several days. And at night, the, the, the men would be in like a hut and she'd be sticking her head in the window, like, hey guys, where are you? Um, so, Okay, sometimes rhinos are easy to move, but as a general rule, they're not. They're large, you know, they're, you have to be concerned about their health when you move them. And you've probably seen at least pictures and read stories about them slinging rhinos where they, from helicopters, will take rhinos and move them by hanging them upside down. And there have been studies showing that that's actually easier on their health than transporting them some other way. Really? Go into that, because I haven't seen too much of it. <laughs> Listeners are like, wait, what? So do they tranquilize them? Yes, they tranquilize it. Definitely Google a picture because it is what you almost think it's a fake picture when you see it. But no, sure. that is indeed a rhino hang, you know, tranquilized, hanging upside down by its feet in a helicopter. You don't want to leave them that way too long. Um, but so it's got to be a pretty quick operation um, to move the rhinos. But that might be one way of moving rhinos in Indonesia um, and with the goal of capturing them, getting them safely into these captive breeding centers uh, that are really, again, it's not like a small zoo for these things, but very large enclosures and, um, and work on breeding. The other problem with these rhinos is these re reproductive challenges. And so there are reproductive physiologists and biologists around the globe working with the government of Indonesia on um, figuring out re more, better reproductive success for the species. Yeah. And for people like listening who are saying, I mean, oh, actually, I should ask you, what do you say to naysayers who say, oh, my gosh, we should just let them live in the wild? They will go extinct, this species. Yeah. Without intervention, this species would most likely go extinct. They, they, there aren't enough of them anymore to find each other. They do have these reproductive challenges. We need to intervene. We messed it up, right? I mean, this wasn't a natural, they're not imperiled for natural reasons. They're imperiled because of poaching, because of habitat loss. Um, and then the subsequent problems resulting from poaching and habitat loss. 
uh, we need to fix, you know, I believe we owe it to future generations to leave the, the diversity of things we inherited. Sumatran rhinos are one of them. It's akin to, in the US, black-footed ferrets, California condors, and things that where the populations are so low, they really don't have a, a prayer without some human intervention. Yeah, and I always tell people too, because you know, you'll get people who say, oh, the animals should be free and stuff. and. I feel like some people in their minds have the idea of the wild as this great utopia and it just, you know what I mean, where everything's free and animals don't have to worry about habitat destruction and poaching and fragmentation. And it's just uh, the true wild, a lot of places, it really doesn't exist anymore. And so, you know, I don't, I mean, just like you said, if you guys wouldn't have stepped in, they would probably would already be extinct. Yeah, and that is a good point because even in Africa, where I think people who haven't spent time in Africa, you think about African wildlife everywhere, but even in Africa, African wildlife are in conservancies and reserves and parks and places that are protected. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've, yeah, it, listeners, if you've never been to Africa, I, I remember I was kind of shocked because I thought Africa was like the National Geographic shows that you watch and you just, you, you get off the plane and animals are everywhere. And, and that's not the case. You drive to parks and animals are there. But even when I was in the Maasai Mara in Kenya, we saw black rhino and they were only at the time, and this was 10 years ago, only 25 in a park, a massive park, the size of Rhode Island. So anyway, it's just, you know, there, there's not as many animals as people think. Right. Now, in Indonesia, Indonesia is such an interesting country. It's the fourth most populous country in the world, right? So massive human population. And it's one of the most biologically rich. I mean, the biodiversity in Indonesia is incredible. I used to work on bats, right? So they have all kinds of awesome bat species there. But in the areas where there are rhinos, there are also tigers and Asian elephants and tapirs and sloth bears. I mean, and those are all, all those things I just named are large mammals, right? So um, Indonesia is very rich in biodiversity, and it's bumping up against a lot of people. And so they're just you have to take active management. Yeah, I didn't realize the fourth most populous city in the world or country. I yeah. Oh my God. So where are all these animals just restricted to, to national parks? There are national parks and it's interesting because Wicombus National Park, where the Sumatran Rhino Sanctuary is, mm -hmm. human communities bump up to the park. I mean, it's really human community, then national park. And so there are interesting human wildlife conflict issues. The elephants will destroy crops. Um, and the International Rhino Foundation has been working with our partners on the ground in Indonesia on some great reforestation projects that are involving and empowering the local communities uh, to replant vegetation. And then they have to have programs for keeping the elephants out from destroying replanted vegetation. Um, like they'll set off firecrackers and things to keep the elephants away and creating habitat and planting a buffer zone around the park in areas around the park that have serve a dual purpose. There might be fruits on the trees that the communities can use. And then the browse from the trees might be handy for rhinos so that they can kind of harvest some of it for rhinos or the rhinos. So there's some neat projects that we have on go and it provides employment and such with, with these local people. So there's some neat projects, but they're definitely, and this is true around the world, but the human wildlife 
conflict issue is one we can't ignore. Yeah. Are, are there a lot of tourists currently going to these parks to see rhinos? I mean, you said they're super hard to find. Right. They are hard to find. And, um, you know, it is a jungle. We, you know, this was an actual conversation at work a few weeks ago. Like how many leeches have you had on your body when you've been in Indonesia? So it may not be trouble for everybody. Right. (laughs) Um, but it is pretty phenomenal for those who, um, are perhaps a little travel hardier and, um, want the ch- and it's also jungle you don't it's not like the african savanna where you're pretty guaranteed to see a lot of cool things if you spend enough time there this is a jungle and you have to be patient and you have to be kind of lucky and uh, but it's it's gorgeous and and there's so much biodiversity around to see some cool things so of course i'm always a fan of encouraging people to travel to learn about cultures and wildlife sure so if i go there are there any animals i'm guaranteed to see i mean rhinos are a pretty far a a, a, a pretty far fetch right but i mean am i guaranteed to see any other types of animals traveling to indonesia visiting these parks you will see all kinds of animals i mean some might be smaller but one has to appreciate the little things sure <laughs> yeah um, yeah you will see things i mean again there are sloth bears and tapers and you probably don't want to see it tiger at least i would love to see a tiger i mean not on foot but (laughs) you want to be careful from where you see a tiger um um so yes you would see all kinds of things wow can people visit the the sumatran rhino sanctuary not currently i mean not for a while because first because of covid and now Mm. the so it's off limits now they did a very good job and these rhinos are so valuable so precious so necessary and precious that um they did a very good job restricting it dramatically during covid and it and it's still pretty restricted yeah and i'm assuming you said that they're i mean these are very valuable animals do they have 24 hours security they do in fact the international rhino foundation pays for what are called rhino protection units or rpus really throughout all the the rhino uh range countries in indonesia for both javan and sumatran rhinos and these are highly, highly trained um, rangers that protect rhinos 24-7. In fact, the men, especially during COVID, were going out on 15-day patrols. And and this is in the various regions where there are rhinos um, protecting them. And then now, of course, they also have, and the mothers and baby have round-the-clock veterinary care. Uh, so, so they definitely have people watching them. Uh, there to support them 24-7. Sure. So well, there's only, I mean, so you only have eight rhinos, correct, in the sanctuary counting the the new calf? That is correct, although there's one other rhino, Pahu, who's in Kalimantan on Borneo, the Indonesian side of, of Borneo, and so one rhino over there. So there are nine total in captivity. Nine total. Okay. What are their genetics like? Are we going to be seeing a scary bottleneck effect, like kind of with cheetahs, how with the inbreeding and how like, you know, the the genetics aren't great? Like, can we talk about that really quick? We can talk about that. And it's an excellent question because it is always a concern with any population that gets that um, restricted. and, And that's true for both Javan and Sumatran rhinos. And really what I've heard scientists say, and I believe is true, that at this point, because they're all pretty closely related at the, at the sanctuary, and sure. um, at this point, you know, you kind of have to put away your 
impressions of what, what that means <laughs> for relatives to be breeding and, and, we, and you need more babies. We, we need to do whatever it takes to get more baby rhinos, more rhinos. And so the genetics is a concern and folks are looking at that and, and which, by the way, will be one of the biggest benefits of getting new rhinos into this captive breeding program is um, fresh genetics. Sure. How many, out of the nine, how many are female and how many are male? Oh, I have to count on my fingers to remember that. Four and three, let's see, Rosaratu, Delilah. Yes, four and three, I think. Four and three? Yeah, that's funny. I've got to look at my... Sorry, I didn't mean to like, I I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I was just hoping that we had like, I mean, you know, like a a fair amount of like an equal number, near equal number of males and females. Yes, although um, (laughs) the females are more important. um, Sure, of course. (laughs) You know, with a 15 month gestation period and one male can obviously breed with multiple females. So actually it was great news that this new calf is a female. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you're, so are they actively searching for more rhinos right now to put in the sanctuary? Okay. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. They have been, I mean, again, COVID really hindered things like in-person trainings and such, but there Mm -hmm. have been um, teams out there doing trajectory surveys. So very strategic surveys of the areas that had known rhino populations looking for rhinos. There have been some seen, actually seen, in a couple of the areas, both okay. in Wicombe and up in um, Loser, up in the north that I was talking about, where they're building a new Sumatran rhino sanctuary, another national park up there. And so in June, which is just the month after this, next is there will be a team on the ground doing capture training, capture readiness training. And then what they will do is they'll build pit traps and um, and oh. try to rhinos. Yeah. They, thank you. Yeah, let's go into it. How do you trap a rhino? You build a pit trap. A pit trap. I feel like like Indiana Jones pit trap type situation. Exactly. Only not as bad. I was, I was just going to joke like with Rosa, you don't do anything except say like, hey, come on, let's go for a <laughs> walk to the sanctuary. But for, for most rhinos that aren't quite that friendly, um, you build a pit trap that's very safe for the rhinos. You know, it's not that deep and um they survey and they try to find known areas that the rhinos will traverse and um and trap with a you know muddy soft bottom and rhinos love mud and so yes they will capture them that way so they dig like like a a large pit and put mud in it you said like a mud wallow to, to to attract them and then they can't get out yeah and i was just pointing out that that it's not a hard bottom, right? So you don't have sure. a rhino crashing into some concrete. Sure, things, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's it's a it's basically maybe we think of it as a giant wallow that they can't get out of so easily. So okay, okay, and then when and there, and... go ahead. No, I'm sorry, Corbin. Well, so I was going to say we there the part of we have human teams out there that I mentioned the rhino protection units, and then there are different survey units uh, doing the trajectory to trajectory surveys and we have cameras uh in many places getting getting photos so the camera traps uh trying to find rhino signs of rhinos and 
or photos of rhinos and such. So sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, no, not at all. And I should have asked you early on in the podcast, but how large are the Sumatran rhinos compared to the white rhino or the black rhino in Africa? I know you mentioned they're much smaller, but can you give me and listeners an idea? Yes. So they're small enough. So this particular, I'll, I'll give you a couple of, of stats on that. They're small enough that their tracks can sometimes and be confused with a taper track. So if you have an idea or ear, as some people pronounce it, um, but they're the smallest of the rhinos the and they, they weigh, you know, maybe well, some of them are super small, but 1300 pounds, six, 600 to 900 kilograms. Okay. Okay. So they're small. And by the way, Sumatran rhinos, if you've seen their photo, are also the hairy ones. They actually have hair. They're, I mean, seriously, have you have you seen a picture of the new baby? Yes, I Christopher or Chris sent them to me. I, I, they are absolutely adorable. They are yeah, adorable. They're so stinking adorable. It's not even funny. They're why so are, cute as me. Why are they so hairy? What is the scientific theory on this? That's an excellent question that I don't know that I have a great response for um, in terms of what it does for them. One thing, so rhinos are great ecological agents. They are an umbrella species protecting rhinos and their habitats protect numerous other species because as a mega herbivore, they play an outsized role in the environment um, by actually by their browsing and grazing activities, depending on the species, browsing or grazing, or sometimes both, um, they influence vegetation, uh, and they disperse the seeds of plants, um, you know, by pooping through the forest, and back to the hair question, seeds will stick to them as they move through the jungles and the forest, and oh. then that actually helps to stick oh. the seeds that way, too. Um, but you know what? I don't know the answer to how that hair helps the rhinos, and I'm going to look that the answer to that question up. Wow, that is, yeah, uh, I think they're just so adorable too. And I've actually, I saw a Sumatran rhino once, and I don't know if I realized how rare it was, but I was 14 years old, and we went to the Los Angeles Zoo. Oh, yeah, yep. And they had one there, and I remember, I mean, I knew they were endangered, but and that was, what, one of the only places in the United States in the world that had a Sumatran rhino. It, there was one there for a while, and then the Cincinnati Zoo really actually, yeah, the Cincinnati Zoo and one of our board members, Dr. Terry Roth, at the Cincinnati Zoo, um, you know, we call her, actually the Indonesians call her the mother of rhinos um, because she um, was the first person successful at, at breeding Sumatrans in captivity. Um, and then there was one at a facility in Florida for a little bit, and that's about it for the U.S., and none in the U.S. now, so Why? that's... Lucky you got to see it. I know. So does Indonesia just want to keep the rhinos there? Is that what that country wants yeah. to do? Yeah. And at this point, it makes sense to have them there and and in these great captive breeding centers there mm -hmm. with experts on the ground and really global assistance as needed. Do you see being like in your lifetime or in our lifetime, the ability to re-release these rhinos that are born in the sanctuary, or will it take several, several generations to get the population stable enough to actually re-release them? It's a great question. And the goal 100% is to release, to breed them and release them back into the wild. And that takes a lot of things. It takes protecting habitat so that there are, 
safe and good places to release them eventually. Uh, and it takes, um, and it takes successful breeding in captivity. I sure as heck hope it happens in my lifetime. Is it a problem though, because the habitats are shrinking? Like where do we release them? Are there protected areas? I know you mentioned, you know, this, the uh, national park, but I mean, is there enough space in your professional opinion? Yes, I think with Sumatran rhinos, originally the declines were because of poaching and habitat loss across the, a much broader range. But now for the areas, I mean, there will never be massive populations of Sumatran rhinos roaming around Indonesia, Malaysia, you know, all the other areas where they used to live. But certainly we can get them back where they are more stable and then in these national parks, which do exist, quite a few of them that have absolutely have space for larger rhino populations. Um, and probably for the rest of the time, they will need to be protected there and some kind of semi-management in the wild. But, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but, but, but there is space. So if I'm a listener listening to this, I'm not in Indonesia. I feel like a lot of us sometimes feel helpless. Like, what can I do? And I just, are there things that listeners can do right now to help the Sumatran rhinos? Yes. You know what? The timing for our conversation, so I don't know when you're posting this. but Soon. <laughs> It'll be out soon. <laughs> then I, I, I want to get this news out there. I don't want to hold on to this baby. I know, because it's a baby. And then we can talk again when the baby has a name. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, you can come on any time uh, to talk about rhinos and this and this rare baby. Yeah. Um, so the timing is good because we are celebrating rhinos on May 5th. And the oh. reason we celebrate rhinos on May 5th is because there are five species of rhinos and it's five, five. So we're having, um, uh, quite a good five, five celebration in, oh my gosh, wait, just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's called go wild for rhinos. And actually on our website, we have, um, some, you know, hot off the press news about what people can do to help Sumatran and the other species. So, um, so I encourage people to go there, but one of the things that we've long done with this May celebration of rhinos is encourage people to host their own, uh, parties and fundraisers for rhinos. Um, this year we're partnering, we have a corporate partner, Blue Rhino, which is the propane tank company. Oh, I use them. Oh, every yes, right, exactly. They're they're great, and they have their this great rhino logo, and um, they are they're partnering with us in the month of May, and they have our logo and information about rhinos on the propane tanks. Yeah, isn't that cool? It's really neat, and um, and so we're encouraging people. You know, it's kind of uh, we're getting a little bit past COVID, and people are out and about again, and it's warm weather, and um, and so. There are other times of the year we can be depressed about rhinos and other imperiled wildlife, but on 5-5, we're going wild for rhinos with quite a celebration. And so I encourage folks to get on rhinos.org, our website, and you can look up our press and on 5-5. But so donating money or hosting a fundraiser, um, if people don't like to do that, honestly, they can just host a party and talk to folks about rhinos, right? It's spreading the news and educating people's mm -hmm. always handy. Um, we have a newsletter that folks can subscribe to, a free newsletter, and then they can hear about all, all the species of rhinos. Uh, share a post on your social media, if you would. We would love to get the reach that way. Actually, I'm always encouraging people to 
subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, where you can see really cute baby rhino videos, people. Um, and uh, and also then that helps us get to like better placement the more subscribers we have. But definitely check out our YouTube videos for the International Rhino Foundation. And then um, two more things I'll mention, sign a rhino pledge. Ooh, we, okay. Um, have a pledge on our website that's um, just folks taking a pledge. Well, we call it Team Rhino, that all of us who love rhinos and work towards rhinos, and you don't have to do it professionally, but just you support rhinos in your own life and, um, you know, are part of Team Rhino. And so we have actually cool Team Rhino t-shirts, but signing a pledge that you're supporting rhinos. And then the last thing I was going to mention is is buying a t-shirt to support the cause. I'm, I'm peeking over here at the t-shirts. Um, we do a unique design every year. And this one is kind of fun because um, it says go wild for rhinos and it's rhino clock somewhere. So um, so it's, it goes with our party theme. Um, rhinos.org. That's what folks can do. Rhinos.org. I want a t-shirt. That sounds awesome. And I would love to share this too. I would love to get a clip. I've been asking Christopher, I was like, I need a, I, I need a clip of this baby and I'll put it on my social media channels. And I think, I mean, I, I think this could be good because a lot of people don't know about the Sumatran rhino and it being, you said the rarest rhino in the world. And this news is people love good news. And I think it's awesome to highlight amazing organizations like the International Rhino Foundation. So Nina, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you so much. Oh gosh, Corbin, I have had a lot of fun listening to your podcast for the past couple of weeks in advance of this. Enjoy. Um, I love the critters the way you do and um, really appreciate you highlighting rhinos because they're pretty special animals. Yes. Now, will you hang out with me for the after show really quick? Because I've been dying to ask you some questions that I think could be really, you know, helpful for listeners. Like one, I want to figure out like how you got this amazing job becoming the executive director of the International Rhino Foundation. But I also want to talk to you a little bit about wolves. I know because you emailed me and said you worked in wolf restoration. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's interesting. So can you join me for the after show? I would be delighted to. Awesome. All right. And listeners, if you want to hear the full interview for the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. With that said, let's do it. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.